Hello and welcome to Wrestling at Random. I'm Jeremy Deemer. And I am Adam Summers. And this is the podcast where every week we review a classic TV show from a streaming service. A classic TV show and this episode will tell you that when we say classic, it just means a certain amount of time has passed because <laughs> we'll get into it. Uh, let's just let's just say it right out here. It's an episode of Sunday Night Heat from 1998, so buckle up, or you actually probably could leave your seatbelt off and you'd be okay. That's not to say there isn't some fun slash hilarious stuff on this show, but come on, it's Sunday Night Heat. So, yeah, so <laughs> the when we say classic, yeah, it's 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 like when you think of classic rock, uh, it's it's stuff that maybe you listen to in high school that's now 30 years old so it's classic rock uh this is a it doesn't have to be a great sh- song it's just a from the time period and this is a show yeah. from the a time passage period. of time has, yes. has met the song and that's why it's a classic and that's where we are with this episode now sunday night heat again we we fire up the randomizer it chooses something at random and we watch it so yes as we talked about right before we started recording this uh, this is another one of those, not episodes of the podcast, because they're all good. Come on, if you're listening, you know that. But w- another one of these shows that we've reviewed that is proof that the randomizer is, in fact, completely legitimate and utterly random. And yeah, when <laughs> Sunday Night Heat came up, I, I'm i like, oh, is this a show we can actually watch? Or is this one going to end up just being like a uh, you know, one match uh show or you know just a a pre-show for a pay-per-view or something exactly that was my thought then i was thinking maybe it's going to be halftime heat and then i got excited halftime heat would have gone straight to the patreon feed (laughs) absolutely (laughs) but but this one is not bonus content this is a full episode and this show like we mentioned november 8th 1998 it was taped on November 3rd in Dallas, Texas, before a sold-out crowd, 13684 paying $274,000 at the gate. Now, before we get into this show, let's talk a little bit about what Sunday Night Heat is. Yeah, explain that, know. because I had actually forgotten when this got pulled, and I know you're going to get to it in the history but that Sunday Night Heat was originally on MTV. Am I? Is that correct? It it, it made an appearance there, but it didn't okay. start there. It was originally on the USA Network. It debuted as a one-hour TV show on August second, nineteen ninety-eight. So just mere months before the show we're about to review, Sunday Night Heat debuted on the USA Network. This was the second primetime show for the WWF, complimenting Monday Night Raw, their other primetime show. So was this was this episode recorded, uh, filmed, taped before or after Raw? Because I, I would imagine so. I can't fathom that this show uh, alone would have drawn the crowd. No, this show was taped, so this was taped before what would be the 11-9-98 Raw. So the Raw that would air the next night on USA was also taped on November 3rd. So both this, uh, so Heat was taped, uh, Heat and was taped before Raw uh, almost every time. Uh, The only time would be that it wasn't taped would be on WWF pay-per-view nights where Heat would serve as the pre-show for a WWF pay-per-view later that Sunday evening. Heat was the number two show. So you'll see there's The Rock is on this show. Like this is a Vince McMahon is on this show. This is the number two show for the well, WWF in 1998. I'll get to my thoughts later on Vince McMahon on this show because while he did appear, he appeared. <laughs> sure. <laughs> I'll, just, I'll have thoughts about his performance on this show compared to some of the other random episodes of TV or pay-per-views that we've watched on this podcast and we've talked about how incredible Vince yeah, McMahon absolutely. was. Yeah. Yeah, Heat was the number two show until SmackDown debuted in August of 1999. So you had Heat with about a run of one year where it was the number two show. Once SmackDown hit the scene, 
the quality of this show and the popularity of this show quickly declined. The decline resulted in the show moving from the USA Network to MTV in the Ah, year 2000. So that was the progression then. The MTV version of Heat was broadcast live from the WWF-themed restaurant in Times Square in New York City. The world, if you will, WWF New York at that time. In March of 2003, Heat moved to Spike TV. And in October of 2005, uh, USA, when it procured the rights to WWF programming, chose not to pick up Sunday Night Heat. So the show was moved to WWE.com in the U.S. as it had to continue to film the show to fill international TV deals. So it would just air it uh, in America on WWE.com. We talked about this in 2005. We talked about this with uh, different shows like ECW, the WWE version of it, and uh, NXT, All both shows that were airing on WWE.com at a time when people weren't in a habit, didn't have easy access to really watch streaming video like that on, on the website. So it, it wasn't drawing a ton of, of viewers. Yeah, and look, yeah, I can only imagine in 2005, that's like four or five years earlier than those... Uh, NXT Wild and Young era. We have to be very specific about that. <laughs> or WWE ECW shows. Yeah, I I can't fathom they were getting a lot of hits for what I imagine would be pretty low res. Yeah, uh, streaming in 2005. After 10 years, the final episode of WWE Heat was uploaded to WWE.com on May 30th, 2008. So that takes us to this episode. It's November of 1998. WWF has pulled ahead in the Monday Night Wars. Jesse Ventura has won the election to become governor of Minnesota. And here we are. We're deep in the Attitude Era right now. Show opens with a video recap. And there is a lot to unpack here. Yeah, a lot. First, for some reason, Vince McMahon is in a wheelchair. I don't believe they actually at any point tell us why he's in a wheelchair, which is uh, noteworthy only that uh, on all these WWF slash WWE TV shows that we've watched, even the not very good ones, they've done a fantastic job of getting us caught up. And while this open tells us a lot about what's happening here, we have no idea why Vince is in a wheelchair. In any event, uh, he says he'll only leave the company when he dies, which... Seems I mean, to be a fact. <laughs> yeah, that seems to track. Uh, apparently, Shane McMahon is no longer a, quote, officer of the company, whatever that means, instead of he being was on a... The, high... Yeah, he was a, an executive. Uh, he was on the board of directors, so he was he was an officer of the company, and he's been demoted to a lowly referee. Yes, he's been demoted to being a referee. We see stuff from ostensibly last week on Raw where Vince says that he has a problem with the people and uh, a problem with the people's champ. And then he screws the rock out of a match with Ken Shamrock, which means that the rock will not get a title shot coming up soon. Then for some reason, the rock gets arrested backstage and uh, we open with uh, Michael Cole screaming that the rock will get his opportunity to lash back at Mr. McMahon tonight. And lots of pyro to open the show. A lot. Yeah, I, I, uh, I had forgotten that here, even the B show in 1998 went all full 4th of July indoors uh, for the fireworks, the pyro, lots of smoke here. It's also noteworthy that Michael Cole's voice in 1998 seems several octaves higher than it does 20 some odd years later. And he's joined by James E. Cornette on commentary. Yeah, and you know, say what you will about Jim Cornette, uh, but man, he is a tremendous color commentator, and he does a great job with a whole lot of nothing here, explaining all the backstory, and he, he, we'll, we'll talk about it as the show goes on, but yeah, he I, was I thought great. Cornette was awesome on this show. Yeah, I agree 100%. I thought that here, as you said, on this show that did not have a lot to work with, 
uh, he, I thought he did one of the better jobs of any color commentator on any of these TV shows we've watched and reviewed so far. Our opening match. Too much. The team of Too Sexy Brian Christopher and Scotty Too Hot Taylor. Yeah, this is... Uh, <laughs> so this is prior to them being too cool and being just Grandmaster Sexy and Scotty Too Hottie. Here they are... Too much. They're too much, which is a very accurate description. Much more than too cool would be later on. They're wearing matching orange and black tights that seem as though they have joined Team Taz here in 1998. Uh, Brian Christopher is every bit as extra uh, as you would ever imagine. Uh, Scott Taylor is just not... Uh, <laughs> This version of him, and granted, he he as Scotty Tuhati is one of my least favorite wrestlers, but at least he got over. Here he's got strong, just a guy energy. Yeah, well, these guys were both just nobody cared. Like no, they were basically 1998. Well done. Yes, and and nobody cared. Scotty, he grabs the mic for a promo. He's got to get something off his chest. And he screams, I love you, man. And they hug. This was lame. Their opponent, Al Snow, comes out, accompanied by Head. And we get a video recap of Raw, where Al Snow and Mankind took on the oddities. And we see Mankind unable to find Mr. Sacco, leading to Al Snow getting hit with the Northern Exposure. Yes, by a masked John Tenta, if I'm not mistaken. That's right. The masked earthquake uh, hits his big splash there and squashes uh, squashes Al Snow. That move finds its way into almost every podcast this season, by the way. The, uh, the Northern <laughs> Exposure, the earthquake splash, whatever you want to call it. It's uh, it's a regular here on this podcast. Also, you just gloss over the fact that here in 1998, WWF, the same year that we saw Al Snow with head on ECW Hardcore TV, he's here on this big, brightly lit arena with dozens of fans this time with styrofoam mm-hmm. heads. And man, oh man, does this look out of place here on Sunday Night Heat. Oh, it does. And we're back to live action. Al Snow has a mic... Uh, He explains that there's a secret organization fighting the evil organization push because they're not getting one. Out comes Scorpio, which is too cold Scorpio, and Bob Holly. They come out and they are the J-O-B squad, the job squad. Yeah, and uh, Scorpio, I guess for whatever reason, they didn't want to call him Too Cold Scorpio. He has a, uh, a ponytail, which is a different look for him. And then Bob Holly, when we're talking about looks, my God, Bob Holly comes out and he's got this, like, I don't know, bluish, velvetish gear, just tights and boots and uh, knee pads. And then he has this long, blonde, like, feathered mullet haircut in 1998 wow i have no recollection (laughs) of this bob holly look particularly at this point in time no he still looks like the sparky plug version of bob holly yeah he looks like a blonde he's got that haircut he's got the mullet haircut of thurman sparky plug uh but he does not uh, most people don't remember that he had a first name thurman sparky (laughs) plug um but he uh he's got blonde hair uh, and no race car themed gear. So this is, uh, he's leaning into the job squad look here for sure. We see the mannequin head that Al Snow has, and we see Mr. Sacco is shown wrapped around like a headband around the mannequin head. Holly and Taylor start out, pump handle into a power slam by Holly. That's uh, and immediately, I'm like, that's it. That's the finish. If that was Wrath, he'd, uh, he'd be <laughs> yes. deep into his winning streak here the pump handle slam that's the meltdown i believe that is correct but here it just quickly breaks down into a four-way scorpio dumped outside by christopher christopher saves taylor from a suplex attempt by holly clotheslines him down and they set up holly for the vegematic 
Yeah, the Vegematic, that's the old uh, Midnight Express finisher, which is why Jim Cornette was getting so excited, where it's that waist lock, that weird bear hug waist lock, where you then lower the guy down and then uh, uh, come off with either a top rope leg drop or a top rope knee drop from the uh, the other partner. That was the setup here. Yeah, now, I, I love the Vegematic as much as the next guy, but I didn't believe when Jim Cornette says, they're setting up for the Vegematic, <laughs> that, that these two geeks would get the Vegematic as their finisher. No, uh, he very well might have been willing that to be what was going on, <laughs> just out of nostalgia. So, yeah, they've got him in that position where Taylor's holding Holly and Christopher is on the top rope and Holly then breaks free, rolls up Taylor in a small package. Christopher still standing on the top rope. The referee counts one, two, long pause, hesitation, then three. And Christopher is shocked on the top rope. The Vegematic! Nobody has gotten up from this one yet! This should be it now, the Vegematic! But Holly counters! Christopher, top rope! He rolls over Taylor! Here's two! And three! The job's What was this? The only thing I could figure is that this is them half uh, half heartedly trying to do like a like a oh wrestling's actually fake sort of thing, and that they he didn't bother making the save because he thought since they're the job squad they weren't going to win, and the ref didn't want to count three because he's part of the push conspiracy. Oh, this all is somehow Adam, even dumber than it sounds. Adam, I'm so proud of you. You actually nailed it. I looked it up. According to Dave Meltzer, the Wrestling Observer Newsletter, the ref held up on the three like the job squad was supposed to lose, but had to count three when nobody kicked out. <laughs> so dumb. And this is one of those things <laughs> that if it was in WCW, people would have... Uh, would have rightfully just absolutely destroyed it, but here it just it's completely forgotten, I guess. Yep, I, I had to look it up, but I'm proud of you for uh, <laughs> for figuring that out. <laughs> I don't know. I'm I'm actually a little bit more disturbed that apparently my my uh, familiarity with terrible worked shoot fake trying to make people believe that wrestling is fake slash real slash whatever that I've watched enough of that garbage that this immediately stood out to me is that Cole and Cornette tell us what's coming up on the show, a Sable training video, European champion X-Pac versus man's man, Steven Regal. That and, sounds exciting. At least I hear that. Yeah. And I perk up and say, man, we're going to get ourselves a good TV wrestling match here on Sunday night heat. And I'm going to get to splice in Regal's man's man theme song. I'm so yes. excited. Well, yeah, we <laughs> see the, uh, we see the graphic and it is, William slash Steven Regal, which on this show, nobody can still figure out which one he is. Uh, but he's got a yellow hard hat. He has a... Uh, like a flannel a, vest. A flannel vest and like a tank top under, on underneath that looks 10 times more ridiculous than you could even imagine. But yes, I was so hoping we'd get to hear that horrible he's a man's man oh, i was so ready i was already music. going on youtube well, that was the first thing Regal's i thought too music. i'm like well i know what jeremy's doing right now and the rock will address what happened on raw being out of the tournament and getting arrested uh val venus will have an interview about terry runnell's pregnancy as well so sorry everybody we told you this was a nothing show but after that lineup i bet you're on the edge of your seat you're like this sounds like an awesome show guys a lot of <laughs> jam-packed excitement here well you mentioned the tournament apparently at survivor series which is coming up in one week's time there will be something called the deadly games wwf title tournament they actually say the word tournament so this is during one of those rare times or it's at least far back enough in time where the word tournament was not banned. They did not call it a championship series like they would some, what was it, seven year, seven or eight years later on that SmackDown we uh, we reviewed early on in this season here. It is a tournament. Uh, we go to commercial. We come back, and we get a recap, not from the previous Raw, but from the previous Sunday Night Heat. So you know this is going to be some important stuff here. And it's Terry Runnels. She's in the ring. She is excited to announce that she is pregnant. She says, we are pregnant, and that makes Val Venus unhappy. And quick aside, while Val Venus and everything he does and says here is horrible and misogynistic, I will say that the whole idea 
of saying we are pregnant has always <laughs> been so weird and annoying to me. So I'm like 0.05% with Val Venus here before he says <laughs> all the horrible things that take me completely away from him. Yeah, she's so happy, but Val says we are not pregnant. You are pregnant. It's not our problem. It's your problem. Val and a- yeah, and that right there is where I'm immediately off the uh, <laughs> off the agreement train with uh, the Valboski, as it were. Val with a backstage interview with Kevin Kelly. Val- Kevin Kelly here. <laughs> yes, that Kevin in Kelly. <laughs> 1998, the voice of New Japan Pro Wrestling for so many years now in the United States. Uh, well, and anyone who speaks English, uh, one of the most important figures in the global expansion of New Japan Pro Wrestling here. He is a backstage interviewer on the B show with a penciled in goatee. I was not ready for this. Val calls her a liar. He says he's had a vasectomy. If there were any seeds in this watermelon, there'd be little Valboskis running all over the place. Terrible. Problem. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. We have vasectomy based storylines here in this sporting competition, this athletic endeavor that is the World Wrestling Federation. Uh, this is bad. Uh, it's there's nothing good about this. But um, then I Cornette, think okay, Cornette Sorry, followed it up. He had a, he had a line at the end saying, "We know the cakes in the oven, but we don't know who mixed up the batter." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was that was better than the entire promo. But right before that, we then are we're ready though to veer from that to something that should be great. X Pac, the European champion taking on he's a man's man William Regal but something immediately is amiss as X-Pac again the champion of the continent of Europe comes out first he is introduced first uh, so I'm already a little worried as to what's what's going to happen uh, they mentioned that he will be a part of the deadly games tournament uh, which is a 16 man tournament I guess that will all take place at Survivor Series but before then we learn uh, via not a commercial, but an in, you know those little inset commercials they would do sometimes in between entrances, that you can go to your local Circuit City yeah, here in 1998 to get your CD of WWF The Music Volume 2. Talk about a time capsule or marking where we are uh, in the history of this nation. Yeah, we go from that lame interview to hearing this X-Pac remix version of the DX theme song. I forgot that I did not care for that theme song at all. Uh, But that's not the song that I want to talk about. Uh, His opponent, like you mentioned, is a real man's man, Steven Regal. But the lights go out and we hear the Undertaker's theme instead. What we do, it's the Undertaker's theme, though, with some wacky guitar mix going on over this is wwf the music volume two's exact version oh it's a circuit city worthy version (laughs) of uh of the undertaker's theme song i'll say that but yes that cuts off what had been heretofore what we are most excited about on this show uh number one being the real man's man music and a close second being x-pac versus regal so i'm mad because yeah paul bearer and the undertaker come out so I'm not going to get to hear that song. And that you're means not going to get to see Regal in his hard hat. And not going to get to see man's man Regal. So we will have to save that for a different podcast. So yes. hopefully the randomizer treats us to a man's man, Steven Regal match at some point. I can, yeah, I had that all, music all queued up. Now I got to save it for another podcast. <laughs> uh, Paul Bearer with a promo. He says, stand back in the corner, little boy. The Undertaker has a few words. Yes, when he said, little boy, stand back in the corner, little boy, I immediately thought, wow, he is feeling the Percy Pringle aspect of his personality tonight. This was the most Percy Pringle I had ever seen Paul Bearer here with The Undertaker. It's also noteworthy because The Undertaker, it's this weird phase where he's still the dead man character, but you could tell he was really tired of like having to do all the uh, the makeup and all the like the contacts, making his eyes look crazy, any of that stuff, because he's again he's doing the dead man gimmick. He's got this really cool looking uh, like entrance robe, but then he doesn't have any of the makeup on. His hair is not dyed black, and he just has a normal look on his face. It's like he's out there daydreaming about what it would be like to be the biker taker. 
<laughs> if you if you don't know what we talk, what we're mentioning, we say Percy Pringle. Uh, go back to the Championship Wrestling from Florida episode that we reviewed in season two of this podcast. It's in your free feed right now. Go back, listen to what was going on Championship Wrestling in Florida, and that was Percy Pringle's first. Uh, real over-the-top performance that we got the boss man as he he was was, uh, also known on that show a god among men he was phenomenal Uh, and so yeah it it did fill my heart with joy getting good percy pringle vibes here from this paul bearer promo yeah absolutely that was uh that was then followed up with what was by far by far my favorite line and my favorite moment of this show i'll just cat out of the bag right now x Pac then says, and this is a direct quote, take, I got the utmost respect for you. He shortened Undertaker's nickname even shorter. He's not the Undertaker. He's not Taker. He's just take. It was the most Sean Waltman thing that's ever been said on a uh, on a TV program, particularly about the Undertaker. And then he follows that up in the same sentence by saying, okay, I'll just, I'm just going to restart. The line is take. I got the utmost respect for you, but I got Steve Regal tonight. Maybe you should get other TV time. He was just having a, a good old time here on Sunday Night Heat. With his buddy Take. He says, yeah, his you should buddy get... Take, he's going to fight Steve. <laughs> you should get other TV time instead of coming in on mine. Undertaker quickly attacks him, chokeslams X-Pac. Paul Bearer calls him a little boy again, and then they walk away, leaving X-Pac laying. Well, my thought was, is is Regal dead backstage? Because otherwise, this Come match has not started. Come out and take back your European title. That was, I thought he came off, Regal, not even appearing on the show, came off the worst of anybody on here. They talk about how The Undertaker could rip through the tournament as him and Kane will meet in round two of the tournament. They both have buys out of the first round. So maybe this isn't a 16-man tournament. Briscoe, Patterson, and Sergeant Slaughter are waiting for Vince McMahon to arrive. We see a clip from Raw where the boss man is beating up those same associates inside a steel cage. Live yeah. shots, we see... The boss man, when you say that, we're not the, talking oh, about not Percy Pringle, Pringle. No, no, no. from the mid-80s. The big boss man here in, uh, in 1998, if you had forgotten... He was now, uh, look-wise, he had graduated from the Cobb County, Georgia Police Department to the SWAT team. He's dressed in all black, looking pretty much exactly the same as he did 10 years ago. And he is the the personal security uh, force, I guess you could say, for Mr. McMahon. Yeah, he could have slid right into the shield in the, the, yes. uh, the 20 teens there. Absolutely. Good call. Um, so, yeah, the big boss man uh, is there. We see the live shot, the limo arriving. The boss man and McMahon came out of the limo. Briscoe helping Vince into the wheelchair is high comedy. And once Vince gets in the wheelchair, he tells his associates, discipline is the cornerstone of corporate communication. I <laughs> hope you all learned a lesson. <laughs> yeah, that line was something else. Uh, I was greatly amused, though. You talked about Patterson, but uh, I thought Jerry Briscoe here was was particularly funny when uh, when the door opens up and Jerry's like, I got your chair waiting for you, sir. Great to see you, sir. So they're they're kissing his ass and uh, Vince is uh, Vince is ready to to go on on a rampage again with the boss man as his his muscle. Mark Merrow with. Women's champion Jacqueline versus the Godfather. And during his entrance, uh, it says, with, quote, friends. <laughs> I lost it. Yes, the actual graphic on the screen as the Godfather, who has a extremely thinly veiled pimp character here in 1998 in the WWF. Again, the Attitude Era, not to be confused with the Ratitude Era. But, uh, and that is not a reference to the friends. That's a reference to, uh, NXT whatever wild and young. <laughs> yes. NXT wild and young Connor O'Brien. God, I hate myself for remembering <laughs> that name, 
Uh, I believe that's yes. The Ascension guy. Ascension uh, Connor. Yeah. But in any event here, the graphic actually says, as it's the Godfather of these three women, it says Godfather with friends. <laughs> we see. And the- also you just, you just steamrolled over the fact that somehow in 1998, Mark Miro is still in the WWF. He what? is. Yeah. <laughs> I had no recollection of him still being there. He's here with Jacqueline. He has his, Boxing chunks hiked up almost to his nose. He, he, he's hairy. He's not in his great of shape. This is a far cry from Johnny B. Bad at Wrestle War 92 or in that uh, in that boxing match with Scotty Flamingo at the Clash of the Champions. No, this is marvelous, Mark Marrow. And yeah, we see in the ring Shane McMahon. He's your referee. So Vince and his associates will be watching this match from the back. <laughs> they will and my god this uh this scene of these guys in the back you think of uh more modern uh and when i say modern i mean even within the last 20 years episodes of raw or other wwf television where when they're backstage it looks like a like a big nice office and there's a huge tv that everyone is standing awkwardly watching here it's a pretty nondescript office there's like five people, including Vince back there, and they're watching this on like an iPod nano size monitor, like 15 feet away. This is weird. Yeah. It, if Shane doesn't do a good job, then he will be demoted to the ring crew, they say. So Godfather has the mic. He says, normally I offer the hose to you, but your luck with women I'll leave mine away from you instead. What about the friends, though? Well, the, is he offering the friends to referee Shane McMahon? <laughs> it's possible. So Mero starts out with punches and a back elbow. Godfather counters, throws Mero into the buckle a couple times. He charges in at Mero, but Mark Mero ducks and backdrops Godfather all the way to the floor. We cut to the back, not picture in picture just to the back where we see Vince and he's saying the government thought I'd be wearing stripes, but it never happened back to the ring. (laughs) That was so weird and rambling. And also the, uh, like they tried to do this as if it was live, like you would see on raw, but it was so obviously taped at a completely different time, uh, at least to me because the cuts back and forth, were so bad, like soap opera level bad. And like the audio of them in the back was bleeding over like way before, like while they were still wrestling in the ring, like you would see Miro and the Godfather doing moves. There'd be no ambient sound from the arena. And you would just hear uh, Vince McMahon and, you know, Sergeant Slaughter and everyone like making fun of these guys. It was really, really weird. And uh, just not the normal WWE, WWF production values you would expect. Mero from the apron over the top into the ring with a splash. Jacqueline's choking the Godfather behind Shane's back. And Vince is outraged that he's doing a, a bad job as referee here. Mero slams Godfather, goes to the top, but Godfather crotches him on the top rope. Clotheslined by the Godfather. We get an annoying quick cut to Vince watching in the back and then back in the ring, avalanche in the corner by the Godfather. Godfather hits a DDT and another near fall. Yeah, a counter DDT to the backdrop. He also had a nice arm ringer standing sidekick that was reminiscent of uh, of Booker T. That was always one of my favorite moves for him to do in uh, in revenge for the N64 Uh, That's the only comparison you can make between the athletic ability of these two men. However, this match, not very good. The constant cutting back and forth made it worse. Unwatchable. Unwatchable. Yes. Unwatchable because it was literally like a move cut to the back, a move cut to the back. This kept going on. It also made me wonder, like, did this match go long and they use this to cut stuff out? Uh, they could have cut out a lot more. <laughs> yeah, then they failed. Not, they should have done yeah, more. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, at this point, though, Miro goes for the TKO, which was his finisher at that point, via the fireman's carry into the cutter. 
the Godfather reverses it and somehow hits the pimp drop Death Valley driver. It should have been called the friend drop, uh, but <laughs> yeah, it was it, here called the pimp drop. It was more of an attitude adjustment like John Cena does yes. than an actual Death Valley driver. Yes, on the Death Valley driver to attitude adjustment spectrum, this veered much closer John Cena than it did Perry Saturn or Louis Spicoli. Yes, it did. Uh, so the pimp drop gets the three count. In the back, uh, the, everyone is uh, uh, applauding Shane, saying he might make a pretty good referee. Yeah, at least we he now can know count he th- can count to three. <laughs> exactly. Vince with the backhanded compliment to his son. And then a non-backhanded slap, just a regular slap back at the ringside area. As Jackie slaps Godfather, and he apparently likes it, I guess. Uh, and then we go directly from that to Jackie's opponent for the women's championship, a backstage training video of sorts with Sable. Yeah, so Sable's training. She's working out in very revealing outfits in slow motion, uh, wearing outfits that no one would wear while working out. Uh, no, only the, if you were doing a photo shoot in a gym that had nothing to do with working out would you be wearing uh, these outfits. I also love that in the midst of all this weightlifting, they then like worked in her throwing one kick at a uh, at a kick pad. I was amused by that. Like, there you go. She's ready to fight now. After this montage, we hear Jim Cornette say, she's serious about their training. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I wonder how like many drinks Jim Cornette had to take or how many like how much extra they had to pay him to say that. We get an update from Kevin Kelly on Xbox condition. Xbox says, Undertaker, tomorrow on Raw. So you know he's serious. He's not calling him take here. He's calling yeah, him he's Undertaker. Take. He's, he, he beat the take out of him. He now dresses him properly as Undertaker. He's also sitting like on a... Uh, I, I don't know, like on a production box in back, just like in the middle of the backstage area, and he's got the New Age Outlaws with him. Undertaker tomorrow night on Raw. I'm not saying I'll beat you, but we will fight. So X-Pac versus Undertaker on Raw. After commercial, the WWF Tag Team Champions, the New Age Outlaws come out. That's the Road Dog and Billy Gunn. B.A. Billy Gunn, as they said here on this show, because apparently Attitude Era, you couldn't say you had to say friends and you had to say B.A. Uh, he then uh, he then, I'm sure, upset the USA Network centers by calling himself, in fact, the badass Billy Gunn. They do their whole sing song introduction. And my God, I had forgotten how much the people loved doing that the I, whole ladies and gentlemen, even... boys and girls. And then the the. Uh, Billy Gunn, two words for you. Like this is the era more than any time in wrestling history of WWF fans just wanting to sing along and talk along with the wrestlers as they do their promos. Even before Road Dog does his shtick, just the team coming out, they are way more popular than anybody remembers. Oh, who's listening to the show? If you for sure. if you think you remember how popular they were, you are wrong. They were well, more popular. Well, I think everyone remembers, uh, or I won't say everyone remembers. They're most known for for this run. But when you think of Billy Gunn, it all culminates in that terrible failed push as the one Billy Gunn, which we talked about on a previous episode of this podcast. So whenever I see him, I think that, or because I'm insane, I think of these two men being in TNA as the voodoo kin mafia. <laughs> oh, good pull. Yeah, so uh, the road dog after his stick... Uh, he he does his intro, but Mr. McMahon and his crew come out on the apron, uh, on the uh, on the stage. The outlaws, I wish it was on the apron. It would have been closer <laughs> no, to an actual wrestling McMahon's match than most of what we in got in a wheelchair. Here. He's coming out on the stage. The outlaws. I've got two words for you: triple threat at Survivor Series. Yes, yeah, so Vince defend. says Vince says that to the outlaws, and Vince sounds like he just woke up. He does not care. He is low energy Vince McMahon (laughs) here. He could not care less about being here. And and obviously I would imagine he's thinking, well, okay, I'm Vince McMahon. I'm involved in the storyline with the rock. Like obviously I own the company. I'm, I'm like the big focal point here. And what am I doing this evening so far? I am announcing a triple threat that will, (laughs) the men who comprise this match will be the new age outlaws, 
the Headbangers and Mark Henley, Mark Henry, excuse me, and D. Lo Brown. And that's the end of the segment. It just ends right there. <laughs> yeah, it was very weird. But after the segment ends, Cole says, and talk about a way to sell you on uh, saying tuned in. But why did they come out? What were, well, what yeah. were the road? Like if Vince McMahon didn't come out, what were the road dog and Billy Gunn going to do? <laughs> they were just going to do their catchphrase and then go to the back, which is pretty much the best use of them uh, on a show. But after this, Michael Cole says something that makes me think that, man, he would have been so perfect for TNA. He could have nailed the vibe uh, of the Vince Russo era of TNA. As he says, quote, still to come. Another disgruntled Survivor Series competitor. Yes, as we're going to commercial, we're told Jeff Jarrett with Deborah will take on draws of LOD 2000, which I forgot was a thing. Yes, Uh, Jeff Jarrett versus draws of LOD 2000. Uh, I also note that as they, uh, well, we'll get to that in a second. I, I have specific thoughts on how clearly Vince McMahon had a type. Uh, we'll, yes. we'll get so to that momentarily. Yeah, they're showing uh, Deborah in getting uh, primping her dress, getting ready to come out, and Cornette with a funny line says, "That's a nice dress she's almost wearing." Yes, another very good Jim Cornette line. We see a clip from Raw where Vince tells Stone Cold Steve Austin that you will face the Boss Man in the opening round of the Survivor Series tournament. Austin, he came down in the main event of Raw here, climbed the cage, and attacked the boss man inside the cage. Ostensibly making the save uh, for the associates, uh, Patterson, Briscoe, and Sergeant Slaughter. Obviously, that wasn't his motivation, but that's functionally what he did. And how did they pay him back? Because they're such pathetic sycophants, they attack Austin and make the save for boss man who was just killing them. That actually was great and so perfect for who these guys are, uh, their characters right now. May I tell you who you will be facing in the opening round of the Survivor Series? The Big Boss Man. Wow. What a deadly game that's going to be. The game got deadlier that night as Mr. McMahon ordered the Boss Man to dismantle his incompetent associates. Enter the Rattlesnake. Wait a minute. Series Stone Cold Steve Austin will have to win four matches in one night to recapture the WWF title. But what looms in the first round for the Rattlesnake may have already sealed his fate. What a deadly game that's going to be! Attitude Era Jim Ross calling oh. a Steve Austin beatdown is some of the greatest stuff you will ever hear. It is amazing. Yeah, I'm still partial to early, late 80s, early 90s WCW Jim Ross, just in terms of calling a match. But he absolutely hit his zenith as far as uh, uh, calling angles and beatdowns here around this time period. I mean, you could say if you go back and watch some of the old Mid-South stuff, he had some pretty incredible moments that are, are on par with this. But yeah, uh, it, it when you watch this and you hear Jim Ross call this, you then think, Man, how many great moments were wasted years later when they had Michael Cole yes. on the call for things like this rather than Jim Ross. Owen Hart makes his way down in street clothes with no music. He joins the commentary team. Yeah, He's retired, apparently. The fans are chanting Nuggets, which I had completely forgotten about and then immediately remembered that that was their... Uh, that was the fans' nickname for him. Uh, and yeah, I, I also just... Damn, Owen Hart. We haven't seen enough of him on this podcast. It always makes me so sad. He was one of my favorite wrestlers growing up. We all know uh, how he tragically died. And this is, you know, not terribly long before then. Yeah, we're we're, we're shown a video recapping of why Owen is retired. Uh, Dan Severin is out there with a neck brace on and was confronting Owen, who had attacked him. And... Blackman came down to so so after Owen attacks 
Dan Severn in his neck brace. Then Blackman comes down, Steve Blackman, to chase Owen away. Blackman then attacks Owen in the back, but the Blue Blazer makes the save. And we're, we're told, why did you attack Dan Severn? And Owen reminds us that he's not the Blue Blazer and he's retired. Yeah, literally my only thought about this entire segment is Owen Hart deserved so much better than being saddled with Dan Severn and waste. Steve Blackman in a, uh, and a Blue Blazer-based storyline. Just horrendous. One of the best wrestlers in the company by far still at this point. And he's just stuck in just an absolute, just mid-card, less than that hell here. No, and if that recap sounded choppy and didn't make a lot of sense, like, you should have seen the video. That's exactly... Oh, it made no sense. <laughs> yes. That's Again, how the, this is, the video was presented. Of all the WWF TV shows or even pay-per-views that we've watched, from a production standpoint, this is the least inspired thing we've seen. And that includes... NXT Wild and Young era that includes WWE CW. The slipshod way that this video feature is put together, or the uh, the haphazard editing of the uh, the Miro Godfather match going back and forth with the backstage office segment with Vince McMahon. Really, really weird to see that that level of just not good production here on a WWF show. Jeff Jarrett with Deborah McMichael. <laughs> make their way to the ring. Then their opponent draws to come out. We hear the LOD music. We get some pyro and he's accompanied by animal. Yeah. This he's is introduced as LOD member draws. Yeah. This is weird. It was weird on a couple levels because my only recollection of LOD 2000 was when it was actually Hawk and animal, but they just had, it's they had sunny, sunny yeah. with their manager. This was not that I was disappointed. Before that, though, uh, you mentioned Deborah comes out. And this is where I note that Deborah and Sable in 1998 are virtually indistinguishable. This is the valet version of Ted DiBiase Jr. and, uh, and, and Chris, Chris Masters, Masters. <laughs> some 10, 12 years later on the NXT show. They look exactly the same. And again, it's clear that Vince has a type and that's what he was going for here. Uh, meanwhile, as you said... It's Animal and Draz, who's wearing like kind of LOD tights. He's got some face paint on. He still has his weird hair. Uh, and he's accompanied by, as you said, Animal. Uh, Draz, another guy whose career came to a tragic end uh, in a match with D'Lo Brown. Uh, but yeah, here he, they were uh, kind of going for it with him as a member of LOD. I mean, this had, this to me just had crush. Uh, working house shows as an LOD member energy. Draws and Hawk had a match on Raw where Hawk was unable to perform because he was messed up on drugs or alcohol or something. Uh, this was so bad. I This jogged my memory as to how terrible and offensive and distasteful this storyline story was as Hawk, who was a guy who had a, a chronicled history of exactly these problems, and they did an angle where he basically gets thrown out of the Road Warriors of the Legion of Doom because he uh, he he's an addict uh, in storyline. Just terrible. Didn't this also end with him? Uh, yeah, him being on top of the Titantron and then stumbling off of it yep. to his doom in storyline. Yeah, that's that's this classic. Attitude Era storyline. So a lot of They folk... don't age well. People say that ECW doesn't age well as far as stories go. Man. And I know this is this a... This was bad at the time. It, well, this... it was in this show. I mean, this show is basically all of the bad, bad of the Attitude Era without any of the good. Uh, you wanted to call it the Batitude Era. That's okay. I did. <laughs> I almost did. Hashtag, I guess. Better than the Ratitude Era still. So back and forth early... Jarrett hits a swinging neckbreaker, draws battles back, hits a power slam, charges at Jarrett, but gets backdropped over the top rope. Hey, that's the, the that's you know we always look for themes in these shows. Uh, you know, some shows yeah. everyone hits a power slam, some shows everyone hits a northern exposure. Here, everyone was backdropping everyone over the top rope. Yes, the other theme of the show is that 
there weren't many matches and the ones that there were were barely matches hawk then makes his way out he attacks draws on the floor animal attacks hawk animal then puts hawk on his shoulders put, put puts him up for the doomsday device draws hits the doomsday device off the top rope with the clothesline on well, hawk he, he does but they took that hawk took that as safely as possible this was not the doomsday device uh, that you remember where Hawk hits the flying clothesline and uh, uh, the man just goes flipping backwards off of animal shoulders. Here, they hit the move and they just tumble back first, which again, that's fine. I don't need to see Hawk taking that bump. Uh, this whole thing was just sad to me. It, it just, it, it, the LOD came off as so mid card undercard really and low rent knowing uh what was going on with hawk the storyline was just said no one ever wants to see hawk and animal go against each other it, just dumb and bad other quick notes fashion corner shockingly jeff jarrett here in 1998 has the same gear same haircut and same guitar that he would have in wcw in 2000 that he would have in tna in 2002 in 2004 2006 he looks exactly the same that's right and and you know the lod is a mid-card tag team here because the tag team championship division is full with teams like the headbangers so you don't have any room and 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 (laughs) d-lo and mark henry and too much you don't have room for a team like the lod no no that's just just not a fit apparently what was a fit though here on the usa network Two classic, uh, and I mean that in the same way that we call this a classic episode of wrestling TV, two classic TV shows that if you watch WWF at this time period, you would always hear the promos for. In mid-match, we have the announcers cutting promos with graphics on screen for uh, Pacific Blue (laughs) and Silk Stockings coming up next. Oh, Silk Stockings. Uh, I I sat through so many commercials (laughs) for that show. Uh, the Rock will confront Mr. McMahon after the commercial break. The The Rock makes his way out, and spoiler alert, very popular. Oh my God! Yeah, this we talked earlier about uh, the New Age Outlaws being popular, more popular than you remember them being, and uh, by far being the most overact on this show. The Rock comes out, and it's it's you know it's Dusty Rhodes. In the mid '80s, it's it's the Von Erichs at the Sportatorium. People are losing their minds, and this is relatively early on. Yes, in the Rock's face turn, the post Nation of Domination era Rock, their second time giving him a run as a face. Obviously, uh, when he first came into the company as Rocky Maivia, and the crowd did not take to him at all. Second time worked out better. He says, "I'm here to take back my spot in the Survivor Series tournament." and to take his position as the number one contender for the WWF title. He's here to set the people's record straight. Vince makes his way to the stage. He says, this isn't personal, it's just business. From a personal standpoint, I have a problem with the people, which means I have a problem with you as the people's champion. It's actually pretty great. Granted, Vince still here seems completely sedated. But I, I like the material, the idea of having a problem with the people means he has a problem with the people's champion. He then says he doesn't really give a damn about the rock one way or the other personally, says he's just another piece of meat on the roster. But then he says, I can't get to each of the people and oh, I wish I could, <laughs> but rock, I can get to you. And by doing that, I can get to each of them. And that makes me feel real good. A just a masterful this actually here was a great delivery. This was great from from Vince, and it was the perfect, uh, very quick encapsulation of why he's trying to screw the Rock. Like you don't need any more depth to it than that. This week on Raw, you'll be in a match with Mark Henry. If you don't win the match by pin or submission, your services will no longer be needed. You will be out of a job. If you do. When you will be in the Survivor Series tournament. Now, if you're watching this as a fan, just obviously not, you know, just taking it for what it is, just full kayfabe. Like, is Vince telling you 
that you may get to see the rock on nitro in two weeks. <laughs> like, obviously that's not what's going to happen. Whenever they would do those storylines, particularly, I guess WCW would do it too, where it'd be like winner, you're fired, but particularly in WWF, it was just always so funny and, and ridiculous to me because, you know, if we're supposed to, as we watch the show, take it as real, there's no way we're ever going to believe they're going to fire anyone and send them on their way to the competition. No, but. because anytime someone did leave a company, they literally showed up the next week on the other yes. show every time. Or if you're Rick Rude, you're on both shows at the same time, <laughs> uh, which was quite the moment. Uh, the best part of this, and maybe uh, right up there with X-Pac calling Undertaker take, uh, the best moment of this show was when Vince basically says, that Rock will be fired if he loses to Mark Henry. Rock immediately takes his sunglasses off, and he has the best bug eyes you have ever yes. seen in your life. Then the eyebrow goes up. That's uh, just incredible stuff here. Vince looking right at him, calls him the people's ass, and the Rock says he'd much rather be the people's ass than ever kiss yours. Yes, yeah, so that gets a, a big reaction from the crowd. And we should note, and it was said in such a... Uh, like a cast off way that you almost wouldn't notice it. I don't even know if Vince or rock said it, it might've just been the announcers, but they note that if the rock wins against Mark Henry, he gets his spot back in the survivor series match. So he, there, there's a reason for him to take that match. He's not just risking his career against the world's strongest man for nothing other than TV ratings. Since you're the people's champion, you carry the weight of all of these people on your back. And this people's champion stuff, the people's eyebrow, the people's elbow. Since you carry the weight of all these people on your back, you're nothing but the people's ass. Oh, that's heavy. McMahon's saying it's all or nothing for The Rock tomorrow night on Raw. Well, hold on, Jabroni. Make no mistake about it. The Rock says he would much rather be the people's ass than to ever kiss yours. Whoa! The Rock! You smell what The Rock is cooking? Tomorrow night on Raw, The Rock versus Mark Henry. More than a championship shot is at stake. The Rock's career is on the line. Plus, X-Pac has challenged The Undertaker to go one-on-one at Stone Cold Steve Austin will be in the house. Shane will be a referee tomorrow. And that's it. They run down the next edition for Raw, and the show goes off the air. Yeah. So. Well, the, the best part is that yeah, Michael Cole runs down the list of reasons to watch Monday Night Raw tomorrow night, and the number one reason is that Shane McMahon will be a referee again tomorrow <laughs> night, as if that is a selling point. This show, this was basically like if Raw was three hours back then, this would have been hour one. This show or the pre-show. This might have been on WWE.com as the pre-show. This show drew a 4.17 rating and a 6.3 share. If you want to know how popular wrestling was in 1998, this show drew that rating. Holy particularly the WWF. It was almost basically proving that you could throw a test pattern on the air. Like this almost was 55 minutes of test pattern and then the rock at the end. So all the talk of this show was the Survivor Series tournament. So, deadly Games. Take a drink if you hear them say Deadly Games. <laughs> so that was the 1998 Survivor Series, which you'll note is one year after the Montreal Screwjob 1997 Survivor Series. So the tournament ends with uh, Mankind making, you know, as a babyface, trying to be part of Vince McMahon's evil corporation He's uh, he makes it all the way to the finals against the rock and he's trying to win it for Vince and Vince, of course, uh, when when the rock uh, puts him in a sharpshooter calls for the bell, they redo the Montreal finish. Everybody was so obsessed for the next 10 years with redoing the screw job. It never worked. It never got any heat. People never cared. But they constantly tried to recreate uh, what that was without understanding why 
uh, in its own messed up way that resonated with people. Yeah, so Rock wins the tournament, becomes the WWF champion, and joins, uh, goes back heel to join uh, McMahon's evil corporation. Yes, the corporate champion. Yes, so that is where we are in 1998. That's the end of this show. Um, if you want, if, if, if you want some bonus content, if you want to go and, and treat yourself to uh, uh, another match, you're like, hey, uh, X-Pac, we didn't get to see an X-Pac match, but uh, hey, did you remember him as the Lightning Kid in global wrestling? Uh, well, we reviewed Lightning Kid and Jerry Lynn in global over in our Patreon feed. You get bonus content every single week there, patreon.com slash wrestling at random. Sign up there. You get... A free sh- you you get the free feed and you'll also get bonus content every single week. Yes, when we say every single week, we are at almost where what? If you're listening to this in linear fashion, we have nearly twenty additional shows exclusive to that Patreon feed. Uh, that if you've never subscribed, that means you've never heard any of those shows. If you can't get enough of this, there is so much more over there, and it runs the gamut. There's some great stuff. You mentioned that Lightning Kid Jerry Lynn match, the very first episode on the Patreon where we review a five-star match between Ric Flair and Barry Windham. But if you're a fan of the not-so-good stuff, maybe you enjoy uh, podcasts where we talk about shows like this episode of Sunday Night Heat more than anything else, we've got some stuff for you over there uh, as well, including the episode of NWA TNA Weekly Pay-Per-View where... (laughs) A little person pulls out a gun in the ring. Yeah, we reviewed episode, uh, the TNA pay-per-view number eight in uh, season one of uh, of uh, this uh, free feed. We've got the predecessor to that over in the Patreon. Uh, and the reason we watched that show was because a patron commissioned it. They became the randomizer. They chose a show for us to watch, and you can do that over at the Patreon as well. So there's bonus content. There's the ability to be the randomizer and pick a show for us to watch. There's also T-shirts available as well. So make sure I'm mailing out more T-shirts this week. Make sure you get in there. You sign up. You get all the bonus content. You And, and when you sign up for the bonus content, I will mail you Wrestling at Random stickers and a WCW trading card from the early 90s. Yes, who knows who you might get? Yeah, who knows? Maybe you'll get, uh, I don't know, maybe you'll get Johnny B. Bad before he was a marvelous Mark Miro. Yes, we've got uh, plenty of cards and stickers to go around, so make sure you go and subscribe. Patreon.com slash Wrestling at Random. You can interact with the show on Twitter or Instagram at Wrestle at Random. And make sure that you subscribe to the podcast. That's the best way to support us if you can't support us financially through the Patreon. Support us by subscribing to the podcast, telling your wrestling fan friends about the show. Show them how to subscribe to the podcast. Tell your friends that used to be wrestling fans about it. Maybe they only watched the Attitude Era and they want to go listen to this episode of Sunday Night Heat coverage. Yeah, and make sure to also tell your former friends who you know are wrestling fans Maybe you guys, you know, maybe you work together and you had a Briscoe and Patterson type of relationship. Uh, just, you know, having to support an awful boss. Maybe that led to you guys have a falling out. Maybe this podcast can mend the fences. Probably not. But uh, maybe they'll look back finally. Maybe they're a huge fan of Sunday Night Heat. Apparently, there were millions of people who were. All the links to everything I just mentioned and the entire back catalog of this podcast, season one, where we reviewed major events, pay-per-views, etc. That's all there. Season two, weekly television shows. The entire back catalog is there waiting for you. If you haven't gone back and listened to some of those episodes we referenced throughout the show, go back and, and listen to some of those episodes. They are evergreen content. It's as new as the day it came out. You can drop right in and listen to an episode, and it's brand new to you. So make sure that you go back and hit all of those wrestling at random dot com is the place to do it and with that we're going to call it a podcast we're going to wrap it up this week adam thanks for joining us thank you jeremy i do have to quickly mention you haven't said what your favorite and least favorite thing was on this show i i pretty clearly thought that 
X-Pac saying take <laughs> and uh, and the Rock's bug eyes were my uh, my favorite. So that tells you about what the actual in-ring wrestling product Correct. was here on this show. Uh, worst thing. Oh, man. I would say worst thing actually was the uh, everything with Hawk. It just depressed me and I found it really distasteful. Yeah, I'll say uh, the best thing were the Rock's bug eyes, the ovations received by the new age outlaws in the rock i forgot you just don't see that very often in wrestling modern times you don't see a a pop like those guys got and uh definitely jim Cornette's commentary and enthusiasm trying to make this seem like a thing when it was totally not a thing jim Cornette (laughs) did a great job uh and you know my least favorite uh thing lod stuff was bad but uh i just couldn't the going back and forth to the uh, to the back for Vince watching Shane as referee was oh, just horrendous production. And, Worst part of the show, and for also sure. just terrible uh, content. It was just not good. It, it wasn't funny. It wasn't interesting. It, w- it just wasn't good. So that was uh, yeah, definitely. Thanks for uh, reminding me. This was such a nothing that it just blew right past it. Uh, but yeah, <laughs> it happens sometimes, as you always say. The randomizer giveth and it taketh away. Um, I guess, yeah, there, there's not a whole lot that we could say, man, I'm really glad in the end that, that, that it pulled this show. This is one of those where it's just, you take the L, you laugh, you make fun of some of the ridiculous stuff, and you move on. So again, thanks for joining us, Adam. <laughs> Thank you, Jeremy. <laughs> it was still fun. I enjoyed it. I hope everyone no, out there too, yeah. uh, listening enjoyed it as well. Take it from us. You don't need to go back and watch this show. Uh, but Nope, uh, we we've recapped you. You're good. Yeah, you're yeah. good. You don't have to go watch. Uh, <laughs> but we do want to thank everyone for listening, and we'll talk to you again next time.